Hello, and welcome to Steel Wheel Stories with your hosts, Chris Jowett and Jake Somerville, where we talk about stories of collecting, restoring, and showing steam engines and prairie tractors made before 1930. Join us while we and guests share stories of the hunt, tales of restoring, and the memories we have made over the years. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Me and Jake are here again, and we uh, we have Lance Stravi and Lucas Jury. Uh, hey guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? Tell us where you're from. You know, just just let us know who you are. I'm Lance Strabi, and I grew up in New Rockford and Valley City, North Dakota, and now I currently live and work for Mark Peterson in Hope, North Dakota. And I am Lucas Jury. I grew up in Valley City, North Dakota, and I as well work for Mark Peterson, and we're stationed here in Hope, North Dakota, and we like to spend our time farming in this frozen tundra, I guess. <laughs> for for Chris and I, who may be a little geographically disabled, where where is that in North Dakota? You know where Fargo's at? Yeah. Yeah. You go an hour west and north of interstate about 30 minutes. Okay. okay. So not really any big town close to you guys by any means, really? or We are an hour away from, well, a little over an hour away from any major city. Okay, okay. I've never been up in that area, I guess. No, I, I haven't either at all, really. Well, it sounds like you two need to go on a road trip. It's not like we need an excuse to. Or, right? Yeah, we should have we should have came up and visited with you guys and had this podcast there. There you go. That would have been enjoyable. Well, there, there can always be a second one, that's for sure. There you go. Mark it on your calendars. Make sure you come in the winter so you can experience snow removal. <laughs> I, I, I definitely don't Snapchats. think we will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we've seen the Snapchat. I don't. I don't mind the snow, but I, I wouldn't mind avoiding it at the same time. Yeah, even if there are steam engines there. <laughs> so uh, obviously, you guys are in the hobby, uh, steam and gas wise. Uh, how did that get started for you guys? Well, it got started when I my parents grew. We're both in New Rockford. And it was basically a way to take me out and burn some energy off when I was six, seven years old. And then I kind of fell in love with it. And I got, mom's got pictures I made from first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up to when I was old enough to have real pictures, you know, drawing steam engines and hanging out. And I actually, me and a bunch of little buddies that were there, Isabel Osloxen had seven engines in New Rockford. And when... She was an older lady and had them, and me and my buddies would get together and help basically clean her engines up after the show and be blacker than the ace of spades when we were done. We didn't care. We were having a good time. And we had older guys that let us on engines and help out, and several of our engines are around the country now. That one that Thurman's have, that Buffalo Pits that they got all painted up nice, uh-huh. that was one of them I grew up on. There's a single Nichols in Tennessee. That was the other one. And they're still... Four of them engines in New Rockford. Two miniatures and two big ones. Okay. Yeah, so it really just got started right from the ground, pretty much. Yep. No no shoe-in by any means. No. My dad always jokes. He's like, I'm not mechanically inclined at all. I don't know where that kid gets it from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lucas, what about you? Uh, My story is I was kind of born into it as well. My first steam show was actually the New Rockford steam show on my two days of being alive. So I got in the door pretty early and never wanted to leave. And 
don't think I'll ever want to. And I've been pretty fortunate with my dad getting an engine from Norman Pross back in the day, and he went through that. That's our 25 double gar Scott. And we've added a few other pieces to the collection as the years have gone. But And I've been really fortunate where I've, we got in with Mark, and now we help take care of his collection. And the opportunities have just been around the corner every time we turn around. So it's been pretty amazing to be a part of this hobby since such a young age and meeting all the people we can. Sure. You mentioned a name there, Norman Pross. I mean, can you tell people about Norman a little bit? I, I know a little bit about him, but not a ton. I've definitely heard the name, but I, I'm sure a lot of people maybe haven't. I never got to meet Norman. Well, I shouldn't say that. I was less than one year old when Norman passed away, but Norman Pross is one of the bigger admired collectors around our area. And he started collecting in the fifties with his grandpa or sorry, his dad, it'd be Mark's grandpa. So Norman is Mark's uncle. And he's the one who kind of started the whole Peterson collection. And he got my dad into the steam show scene as well. When my dad was young, he was, my dad was probably 11, 12 years old running around with Norman as well as Mark was. And so he's the, you know, he's got a handful of tractors and roll log that, that's where it really got started and then rockford as well is where all the steam engines are we lost norman early he wasn't too old and he had a couple health troubles but sure i know lance got to be around him some he'd probably be able to tell us more you got to back up to when luke was at the first steam show though there's a there's a mark peterson good story it was (laughs) like thursday night he was born on a tuesday and thursday night of the show luke was in the camper in near rockford and about midnight, one o'clock, there's a banging on the door of the camper, and Peterson's outside. He's got to meet this little Gar Scott that's at the steam show. <laughs> <laughs> so middle of the night, old, old Mark had to meet him. Two days old. Oh, that's that's great. I think. So did, I think I was at a <clears throat> at an auction the night before I was born, and then they had me on a on a steam engine the the week after I was born. Yeah, so I was I I was pretty well infected from conception too. Yeah, I know. Like my youngest boy uh, Sutton, he was at a show basically. I would say a week after he was born, and then Porter, she was at a show. My youngest daughter, uh, basically, I'm gonna say four or five days after she was born. Uh, I can't say that for the other two per se, just because of timing, but. And Sawyer was kind of born in, in, in early fall or late fall, early winter time. So not much shows going on, but uh, you got to start him right. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out pretty well being born when I was because here a few years ago for my 21st birthday, um, since my dad had restored the engine, he got the engine done in 1995 when he got it done for my mom and dad's marriage. And that's actually what they rode to the wedding reception on was the platform of the Gar Scott. Yeah. But anyways, he was all always he and Han about plowing. He didn't want to do any plowing with the Gar Scott. So year, Lance can tried to convince him for years to plow with it. And finally, for my 21st birthday, I told him, we're bringing the Gar Scott out of roll log and we're plowing at the farm here. So for the first time, we plowed with the Gar Scott here at the farm on my 21st birthday. Well, that's neat. So your guys, yeah, your guys' <laughs> Gar Scott, do you keep it at roll log or do you keep it at New Rockford or does it go back and forth every year or? Currently, it's at New Rockford. It from 2004 till what have been 2019, I believe it was. They lived at Rolog, and now it's been at New Rockford for the last handful of years. Okay. 
Um, Dad's kind of undecided on where he wants to store it at. He might go back to Rolog, but I like it at Narockford because it's the only one there. You know, there's a few other ones at <laughs> Rolog already. Sure. Yeah. I always find it interesting about storing engines at, at showgrounds. That's just, that's a, that's not a concept that's in place around here. Everything is, is trucked into all the shows around here. There's not really a show that's got, I guess, a, a storage facility to house 20, 30 steam engines or something like that. So, so everything gets hauled in. So the, the concept of, of an engine staying at a showgrounds to me, and I, Chris, I know you've kept engines at, at shows down there, but that's just mm-hmm. not something that happens up here. That's because most of your shows you could drive your steam engine to. <laughs> They're that well, close. Well, yeah, there is that. But I don't know. It, <laughs> I guess we do haul them around at, I don't know, four or five different ones a summer or something like that. But Sure. Well, like the Narockford shows on the Eddy County Fairgrounds and the show bot, they call they call them government buildings, but they're like them curved steel buildings they came out with in the I want to say seventies or sixties. Uh-huh. Oh, the show Quanta owns looking thing. Yeah. yeah, the show owns six of them round top buildings, and so the, the all the stuff there is stored in them. And we got a few other buildings, but most of them are filled up with thrashing machines and steam engines and rubber tire tractors, prairie tractors, few cook cars. Which is kind of nice. You don't got to haul everything every year. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hauling, well, hauling stuff all the time gets gets old. That's for sure. But we still no, do it. It's not easy moving some of that equipment either. <clears throat> some of that stuff takes more than a day to get moved. Oh yeah. Yes, and, that's and, for sure. And sometimes it's just not something you can go haul by yourself either. You need help getting it on and off, and one thing or another. Mm-hmm. And it's not like going to pick up a, a farm tractor or a piece of heavy equipment or something like that. Right. Some of that stuff wasn't built to go down the road backwards at fifty miles an hour. Either. <laughs> that's, no, that's also true. I think I think first thing to load are them prairie plows. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, they're not fun either. I don't know. Yeah. We moved that skin engine we bought from you guys here last year twice, and that was just too many, too too many times. <laughs> what what did you guys end up hauling that with? Was that a land ball trailer or? What'd you put no, it on? it was a removable gooseneck is what we moved it on. And we got a pretty nice set of ramps on our trailer, so that worked out to where the skids didn't drag. And Oh, yeah. You got a wench to pull them on so you can control it, so it's not a yeah. trying to push it on with a push bar or any of that nonsense. Yeah. That was a, let, that the, was a... let, the, let the truck idle, and it pulls it on, and it's controlled, and life's pretty good that way. That was a pretty special day getting that thing loaded there at our place, wasn't it? I don't think I'll ever forget that. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out as well as it did. That was quite yeah. the trip home in itself, really. Oh, man. Yeah, that was... We had a really good thought leaving your guys' house. We're going to skip Chicago, and we're going to go through the Upper Peninsula, up around Duluth and home, and it'll be a nice, quiet, peaceful trail. Yeah. <laughs> we were dead wrong. Oops. I've never seen more car accidents, camper accidents, vehicles in the ditch and the trees at night. Well, we actually ended up getting hit on that ride home. So we were about a mile and a half off that big bridge going into the Upper Peninsula. And all of a sudden, this Suburban pulling a camper smashed into our trailer. Three the car come across the median and hit the camper. And so we found a pull-off spot about a mile up the road. 
and so then we called the sheriff right away or called 911 and then we sat there and waited and i've been we were on the side of the road for damn near four hours by the time it was all said and done about the only thing that happened with us it knocked a couple chains loose and then popped one tire and rest messed up the rub rail on the trailer but that was a wild ride home yeah, we could have skipped that. That would have made life a lot better. Chicago doesn't sound yeah. that bad after t- talking about that. No, oh, next time we're going around Chicago. That would be better. <laughs> yeah. I, I avoid Chicago every time I go to Michigan, as much as I can, anyways. Uh, I so I don't blame you there. But geez. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Duluth area at all, but when you come through Duluth, there's a it's a pretty, it's not real steep, but it's just a long hill. And I'd say about two thirds of the way home, the turbo and the pickup decided it just needed to quit. Uh huh. We didn't hardly make it up that hill coming out of Duluth. Hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of iron on that trailer there too. Oh yeah. That yeah, so hour, she's she's not light. <clears throat> so that's when you guys came back for Graham seller sale, and then you guys went up to Somerville's. Then after that, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. 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 The plan actually was to purchase Graham's 18 car. Oh, really? Yeah, but we took the ultrasound machine with and readings of that, and we kind of had a number set, and then once we started bidding, it got, I bid about $5,000 more than what we agreed to, and after that, I decided for what I could figure on that boiler, the amount of work we would have had to do in North Dakota to make it an operating boiler with sure. deep pressure, it just got to the point where it wasn't feasible for us, so... Yeah. In the end, we got a better engine, I think. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something. It's something. Yeah, Lance was actually standing next to me when I bid on our on our twenty gar, and uh, it was kind of funny because we were just bullshitting like normal. And I don't, I don't think Lance knew that I had any intention in bidding on it. But mm-hmm. I was really, I was really trying to focus on our conversation, but also watch Kurt at the same time because I was trying to stay focused on both. And then all of a sudden, I bid. <laughs> Lance was like. Well, shit! I'll get out of the way, you know. Right? <laughs> it was kind of funny. Well, we we're, you know, it's it's an auction sale, and you're with your brother and your stepdad, and you know, other people. And Luke's bidding, and he's like, "Well, uh, this is all I'm going." I'm like, "I ah, go one more time, maybe it'll happen." Ah, yeah. I go one more time. Finally, he goes, "I'm done with this. This is over." <laughs> and I said, "You're standing there, and we were visiting, and you bid one time." And I looked at Luke, and I said, Are "You going to bid him up for that one?" And he goes, "Nope, not a chance." <laughs> uh, so you were bidding on it? Well, he thought about bidding on it after he uh, didn't get the eighteen. Oh, I see. I I didn't. I I knew that somebody on the other side of the engine bid, but I have no idea who it was. Yeah, uh, and, and all that. But yeah, it was it was a good day. That was a fun auction sale. I really enjoyed that sale. Absolutely, yeah, that, was, that was really. Fun. Really fun. That was a that was an awesome day. I got uh, to visit with his son for probably an hour. That was that was interesting. He had a lot of good oh yeah. stories. Oh yeah, yeah. Mike's Mike's been up to our place several times with Graham, and we used to go to gun shows. Graham was big in the gun collection uh, or gun collecting. I'm sure, everybody knows that. But uh, outside of steam stuff, which is how we got to know Graham so well, uh, we we collect guns too, and uh, we we ended up. Uh, getting in kind of a routine there's gun shows all around michigan and we'd hook up with with graham and mike and we'd go to a gun show down by oh down by him i forget what the town name is there's one down there there's one in jackson there's one here right in mason there's one over in grand rapids and we'd meet up we'd go get breakfast and we'd go to the gun show for the day you guys had surely met graham before hadn't you or no we never did i never never did. did 
Okay. I've heard I've heard some stories about Graham. Mark had met him a few times, and they had visited uh-huh. things because there's a few things they had been interested in at the same time. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one bad part about the hobby. The guys <laughs> that you wanted to visit with, most of them are are gone or are close to being gone. Yeah. It's, well, uh, you know, he was a Gar Scott guy, according to his book collection, and he'd uh, I'd have been it'd have been fun visiting with him. Yeah, he was a he was a Gar Scott guy. He was a uh, an advance advance Remley guy, and he was a Pickering Governor guy. Yep, Graham Graham was one of the best. I, you guys I, talked uh, about you guys talked about touched on Norman a little bit. The uh, his when I was little, I had I got a B John Deere for my tenth birthday, and all painted up and restored and ran good and all that jazz. But Norman would see me and a couple other buddies out there and well. I got my truck and trailer here. We're going to load that John Deere up and take it to roll log for you. He was one of the guys that saw younger guys in the hobby and wanted to keep them interested. Yeah. And from talking to guys about Graham Sellers, he seemed like the same kind of personality. Oh yeah. I've got right here in my office upstairs. I've got, uh, actually it's a collage that, um, his wife, Jean had put together and it was all pictures of, of me and Graham on all the engines. It was, uh, he, he used to have a plow day there at his place and dad and I would go down, uh, and help him get stuff out and plugged up and watered up and fired up the day of the, um, uh, of the play day. And, uh, there's, uh, there's pictures on his 25 nickels with the, uh, uh, rack and pinion steering. There's pictures of me on the 35 rear mount advance with him pictures on the, uh, 25 universal, the, uh, 28 Minneapolis. And I'm, I mean, I, I'm not even up to his, his waist uh, at that time. So I was, I'd have been probably seven years old, maybe six, seven years old, somewhere in there. Any, any chance Graham got, he'd grab me and throw me up on the engine. He was, he was one of them guys that didn't make me carry wood or nothing, or he, he'd do all the hard work and, you know, kind of keep me interested and uh, pulling the levers and, and having fun getting the glory there. And he just kind of stood back and watched and smiled. Yep. Yeah, he was good. He was an awesome, awesome guy. So you guys talk about New Rockford, and you were talking about Rolog. Is there uh, any other shows you guys attend out there? Uh, we go down to Andover. Mm-hmm. We're not when it works out, and that's probably the three main ones we go to. We go up to the. It's uh, been a little while, but we used to go to Austin, Manitoba. We actually have a family friend of ours that him and his wife come down to Rolog every year and they come to Rockford now too since the engine's there and he's ran our Gar Scott for a number of years so he comes down every year and helps us with that and so that got us going into the Austin Manitoba show um you'd have met him when you were in Rolog Hubert the guy that was on the advance with us yeah Jake would have met him yep oh yeah 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 I did yeah I did meet him Hubert Um, Cabernet yep Yep. good guy we try to make it to Crosby every year that one's pretty high on the list normally. How uh, far is that from you guys? Oh, that's probably all of... Depends on how good your tires are. <laughs> a long day when you got junk tires. It turned That turned into a long trip, <laughs> Vince is referencing. But in a straight drive, it's a little over five hours. Okay. So that one's a fair jump. But <laughs> one of the first years that Lance and I went, they featured Avery. And Mark had just got his 40-horse Avery done for that show. They wanted to feature that engine there. And so we got it done here, got it moved up there. And then Lance and I were going a day late because I think we must have been spraying or something on the farm. I don't quite remember, but 
we get to Minot and cords let loose on a pickup tire at about quarter to five on a Friday. Oh yeah. So nobody wanted to help us. So we <laughs> got the spare on and limped it up to Crosby the rest of the way and got the, got a new tire put on at the tire shop in Crosby. And then Sunday evening, we're coming home and we got about 15 miles out of Crosby and a wheel bearing went out of the trailer and we lost the wheel on the trailer. Oh so, shit. Unhooked the trailer and a nice Not just easy. lost a wheel. It hit an approach and cleared the power lines, lost a wheel. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then, then Johnny Law pulls up behind us and he looks at us and he looks at the situation. He goes, You guys got this covered? Yep. All right. Have a good night. And off you went. Were you guys hauling something or what did you? What was the trailer about? We hauled a load of lumber up there, and then we had a four-wheeler on the trailer. It was just a car trailer. Yeah, we sure, had to haul sure. logs for the sawmill boys. I got you. We had a oh, car man. trailer with as, as many logs <clears throat> as we could haul on it. It was – I think I got sandbagged, to be honest with you. They told me I had a nice place to stay with air conditioning, and if you've never been to Crosby, it's hot. Really oh, yeah. hot. So by the time all the all the night activities got done, you were looking for a place to cool down. Which we had none of all weekend. It was hot. Hmm. So when the when the tire was gone and and the trailer was unhooked in somebody's yard, we don't even know. Just asked if we could park it. I looked at Luke and I said, "We're going to find an air conditioned hotel room, and I don't care what it costs. We're done yep. with this <laughs> until tomorrow." <laughs> oh man, uh. that that is a fun show for anybody who's never been there because it's one of those. It's about the middle of July usually. So the days are long, and the sun's up till almost 10 o'clock in the evening on that side of the state. And um, Scott and Kenneth and I have we've gotten into this thing we call evening plowing. So oh, generally yeah. about 9 o'clock or so, we'll go hook up to a plow with John's Gar Scott 25 and make a round or two. Or We used to use the 3570 Minneapolis a time or two, but that's now out of Crosby. John sold that, so... But that, that's a fun show to be at because the days are long and the people are good. It's a very fun time. Yeah. Uh, Crosby and New Rockford. I think, Chris, you and I have talked about that. We've yeah, I've definitely not been, to, not been to either one of those shows, and we'd really like to make it one of these years. At, at Crosby, is it majority gas stuff or steam stuff just as much, or does it weigh one way or the other? It seems there's, like there's a bunch of gas stuff there and, and a lot of neat stuff and oddball stuff too. There's a pile of gas tractors and I think, don't quote me on this, but I want to say it's up to 20 or 21 steam engine there. Not mm-hmm. all of them being John's, but a lot of them are. Yeah. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of gas tractors. I guess there, what's it been a couple of years ago, some of Memke's stuff came over there. So that really brought up the steam population, I'm sure. Yep, yeah, a few of Memkeys came there, the ones that uh, Charlotte, owns. Charlotte owns are there. So she's got that corner bracket advanced. That runs every year. Yeah, and then uh, there's another 80-horse case that travels back and forth from the east side of the state to back to Crosby every year. That's a newer one that was added. And John actually bought a 65 case from the Young family. That's in Crosby now here the last couple of years. So Gotcha. Definitely a lot of stuff to look at. And it's kind of, a, kind of a small showground, so it's not too overcrowded like some of the big shows. So you actually get to play with some of this equipment and have fun on it. And not like you got to walk miles around in 100-degree heat and all the rest of it. Yep. No, that's uh, Crosby and New Rockford are both definitely uh, shows that I want to make it to. Uh, people have been telling me for years to go to Crosby and check it out. 
just haven't been able to make it happen. Yeah, if you guys are thinking about it, this year is definitely the year to come to Rockford. We are featuring prairie tractors, and this will be the first time since Norman started collecting that his operating steam engines and gas tractors will be in the exact same place. Oh, really? Yeah, the collection's always been split up to where the majority of the tractors are at Rolog and the engines stay in Rockford, and that's just how it's been. So I was able to convince Mark that it's time to do something about it and at least one time and get this collection together. There's going to be a picture day on Thursday. Because after you haul that much stuff, you better have a few pictures taken. To prove it, yeah. Yep. <laughs> what are what, the, uh, you know, what what's time the dates that? for that show? Yeah. It is September 15th through the 17th this year. It's always the third weekend in oh, September. Boy. Third weekend in September. So, like for us, it goes Rolog and Dover to Rockford. Oh, yeah. That'd be right back to back, I guess, huh? Yep. Yep. That busy the weekend after our Friday here in Michigan. Yeah, that's right. I was sitting there thinking, yep. I think that's usually McLeod's yeah, Kansas. Be... I don't know. McLeod's may be the following weekend for us. I don't remember, but. Yeah, man, some of them months just get busier than heck. You know, we've got shows, uh, a couple shows in June that we go to, and then it doesn't seem like there's much going on in July. So that's why I always thought Crosby would work out pretty good. And then, uh, you know, then August and September are just almost back-to-back weekends around home, too, just like it sounds like it is for you guys. Oh, yeah. So the end of October, end of August, uh, well, the end of September is pretty busy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, your projects go, but for our shows, you got to have at least August to get ready for the steam shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much get the get wheat harvest and barley harvest done. Get all your steam show projects done because September's coming fast. Do you guys do much playing like outside of the shows? Do you fire stuff up at Marks or anywhere else and play on a weekend or something? Well, the trouble for us is we don't really keep anything here on the farm. Most of it lives at shows, so like Rolog is about a two-hour drive, and then Rockford is about an hour and fifteen minutes. So like last year, ended up buying Dennis. Um, Powers 4065 Twin City. So we brought that right to the farm and we played on that all summer about two or three times a week. We had that making hot laps with some beers on the platform. So uh-huh. that was a good time. But other than that, we. The year before that, we tubed the 110. Uh, yeah. The year they featured Case and Rolog, we had the 110 home for the summer and we put some new tubes in that. And we've had a couple plow days here on the farm now. So. Okay. I just kind of figured you guys had all kinds of stuff there at the farm or whatever. And- all that, but I didn't realize it was all over at shows. Well, all the operational stuff is at shows. So sure, yeah, yeah. We've got quite a few projects here at the farm that are waiting patiently for us. What happens when you get stuff on the farm? Like, I'm leaving right at dark because we finished spraying something, and Luke ran home to, you know, take care of dogs and comes back, and all of a sudden a pickup will come tearing in the yard at dark. What are you doing? Oh, we're going to fire up the 110. Got some beer, and the boys are coming over. <laughs> okay, there's 110 going around the yard with flashlights for headlights creeping around the yard. It's quite the experience because then the neighbors come over because they don't see this stuff every day and it gets pretty entertaining. Uh, it's it's they pretty bring funny. Kids over and... It's pretty funny right around here. I, I mean, you guys were here briefly, but uh, to get a better grip, grip of it, Chris has been here. But there, I mean, there's people almost every single corner, street corner around here, there's a steam engine. It's just so densely populated, and you'll you'll be like a Tuesday night or something. You'll be out mowing your grass or something, or out in the yard playing with it. Hear a whistle off the distance, and <laughs> yeah. somebody somebody's fired up, and they they're blowing the whistle. So I mean, it, it's nothing on a Tuesday night. Some random Tuesday night, somebody be fired up and running around out in the field or something like that. 
I think last week we were fired up on Thursday night, and uh, well, we got steam engines out and watered up, and we're going to fire up again this weekend. And yeah, that's what happens around here. Yeah, if we want anything like that, we got to drive a fair distance. So you guys working on anything over the wintertime here? Any projects going on? Yeah, we're sitting in it right now. <laughs> it's been it's been 20 years in the making. Yeah. We finally yeah. got a really nice shop this year. Well, that's good. That's Mark good. put up a Morton building, and it's 81 by 120 with a 22-foot sidewall. Yeah. And it's got a 40 by 40 office building onto the side of it, and we're going to be able to do some things now in the wintertime. But it's pretty oh, much yeah. consumed most of our fall and... Last year we did a lot of dirt work, and this year it finally finally's coming together. Oh, that's good. We had the heating guys here this week putting ductwork in. Next week the plumber's coming. It's a big deal when you finally get a working bathroom on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't appreciate that till you don't have it. Yeah. It's, uh, yep. Yep. I can see that. You know, it, even to have a corner to pull a project <laughs> in will be really nice, and be able to work oh, on it, go back and do your farming stuff, and then tinker on it as the as the season goes on. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. our shop before this one that we got built now, you could pull a pickup in there and work on the pickup, and that was about the extent of what would fit in there. Uh-huh. Mm. Basically a glorified garage. The crazy thing is Mark's done, he's put together like his 80-horse case was in that shop, took up the entire shop. <laughs> if, you, if you want to get that engine in there, you have to take the governor and the smokestack off. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's twenty six by thirty four or something like that. And when when his when his dad and his uncle built it, it was it was twelve feet tall, and that was too tall, too much to heat. So they cut the wall down so it was only ten feet with a arched uh, rafter. No kidding. Oh wow. <laughs> too much uh, to heat. Now you can hardly get any of our tractors in it. Maybe the auger tractor. Uh, farm equipment was a lot smaller back then. That's for sure. <laughs> that it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! So anything lined up to come in the in the new building here for project wise? Yeah, we got a thirty sixty open tailor that's on the list. So that's hopefully gonna. As soon as the mud kind of dries up, hopefully get that tore apart. That's kind of gonna be a summer project. Uh, motor's actually rebuilt already. Oh. And okay. Radiator's in good shape, so we don't got to build a new radiator just yet. So that one should be a pretty straightforward project and that's actually a pretty cool tractor that's one of the first ones norman bought back in the mid 50s and it come from about 18 miles south of us oh wow so it's a local tractor that was in that family when norman they bought that tractor new and norman bought it from them so that one's a pretty cool one is that a running tractor now or no the motor will run that's been all rebuilt that was been rebuilt quite a while ago but we got that sitting in a shed under a tarp and so it's Pretty much break it down to the frame and make sure all the babbit's good and nothing broke and start sandblasting and painting. The motor went up to uh, Clyde Hall, went through the motor up in Canada. Uh -huh. Rebeated yeah. all the bearings and all that stuff, all the valve train, all that. So that part, we've had it running twice since I've been out working for Mark. And he's had that for quite a while ready to go. All the lubricators on it, all the lines, all that good stuff. So it's pretty much the chassis and the transmission. It's pretty straight for the most part. It'd be it's interesting funny. to know how many of them 3060 Altman's Taylors were in North Dakota, South Dakota. I like our tractor, our 3060 came from South Dakota area. Didn't yours come from North Dakota, Jake? Or was uh, it South Dakota was, also? <clears throat> no, it was right on the border of Nebraska and South Dakota. Oh, okay, it was te okay. te technically in Nebraska, but 
right yeah. up, right up on the line. Yeah. Sure. That had to be one of the better prairie tractors out there as far as operating and running and maintaining because there sure is a pile of them left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seems like yeah. word got out that this is a pretty good machine and it must not have been too expensive to have. I don't know who's – I've heard it from several people, I guess, but, like, everybody's comment always was, you know, they were good tractors so they didn't get rid of them. They didn't get scrapped, and that's why there's so many of them still around. I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. I mean, I know there's truth to it being a good tractor, but as for the reason why there's still so many of them left versus – some of the other makes and brands and models, you know. Well, and you know, you hear all the tractors, all them things got scrapped. You know, I didn't quite understand it till we went through COVID. And we remember like probably two or three months after the vaccine came out and people would almost guilt you into it. They mm-hmm. were on the, you got to be American and help your neighbor out and all this jazz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. talked to yeah. an older yeah. guy that must have been in his upper, upper 80s, 90s. He goes, that's kind of the same message they had during World War II. If yeah. you kept oh. your iron, he goes, your neighbors would get after you because they knew you had it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, there's a select few that stuck it in trees and hid some of it. But that was kind of the message they had, which makes sense. Well, you don't want your neighbor John on you all the time and making you feel bad. So a lot of them guys just said, yep, take it. We need to help. Yeah, yeah our last guest, that's uh, kind of the way he talked about what they did with his grandpa about the certain iron that he had laying around was, it was kind of a guilt thing, you know, like, hey, you need to help out. You need to do something, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And after hearing that, that kind of clicked. And, well, that makes sense why these guys were. And he said, he goes, the other side of it, too, was it was everybody was in the war effort. And we didn't have any money. And we needed the money, too. So mm-hmm. two yeah. two strikes going. Yeah. Speaking of scrapping things, I, I don't know if I've told this story to Jake yet or not. I might have. But so it'd be Mark's great uncle. He, Roger. Yeah, his name was Roger. He had a. 35 rear mounted vans with a set of extensions. Oh, really? And that was parked in the trees at their farm. And about two months before the war ended, the scrap guy finally talked him into scrapping the engine. Oh, man. And it was it was right up there at the end, and it had an original set of extensions with it. And, it, you know, pretty much one of the cherry engines a guy is searching for right now because there's only, what, two of them 35 rear mounts left. And, uh, right. It, for it to be scrapped that close to the end of the war is about a heartbreaking story. But oh man, yeah, that's terrible. Oh, you ain't gonna sleep all night. <laughs> no, I, there's got to be like a lever quadrant or something still left in that scrapyard. I'll go find it. I believe I know. Pretty sure the rear wheels are still around. I think we've located them, but there's no sign of the extension rims. And the story that's been passed down from that is the. Ex- on the engine at the time of scrapping but there was no need for the extension rims because the engine was getting scrapped so they threw it in the yeah. pile yeah yeah was that a uh, cast wheel yeah that would have been a cast wheel i guess yeah it'd be the tall cast yeah. wheel the advance yeah. off yeah it was probably a more often occurrence than not with a lot of that stuff yeah oh, i don't yeah. think the i don't think those cast iron advance extension rims were an overly successful design and i guess maybe that's why there's just not not many left. Um, I, yeah, I just don't think there was enough tension able to be pulled on those spokes, and I think they ended up getting broke, is what I think. I, and and, and scrapped kind of for that reason, too. We'll find out when Tim gets his on his advance. Yeah, I haven't heard anything more about that. I need to give him a call, see how, how he's making out on progress there. I've got... be a, I've, be a bad deal a, after two or three years of plowing to have busted spokes on your fancy new extension wheels well the spokes won't be the problem it'd be the it'll be the rim yeah 
Yeah, the the rim will be the problem. I've I've got a uh, a set of rims here uh, that I bought, and I I'm going to end up trying to build up a set of extensions to to put on on my thirty. See how how it works out. I'm going to build them as as close to original spec as as I can, but I don't, we'll see how it goes. But I was talking to Tim at Rollar, I guess last year, and um, but I haven't heard any more about progress or insight to how he's making up design or anything like that. I'm curious to hear how he's going. I haven't gotten a Snapchat of him on yet, so they're probably not on there. <laughs> Pretty good friends with Kyle Wheat, so uh, those yeah. get on there. We'll definitely get a Snapchat of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Worst part about that whole project is you got to make two patterns. Yeah, I know. Well, that wheel's not reversible, so. Right. You know, you're making, well, I suppose you can get away with, if you, depending on how they do it, you know, one hub pattern, the hub should be the same, but that outer band, that's two patterns in itself there. Yep. So he was planning on, like, actually casting them just like the original, huh? Yep. 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 Interesting. That'd be cool. It'll be yep. really neat to see if they can get it done, and so, and I don't see why they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, the only thing I don't understand of the casting process and foundry work is still kind of mysterious to me in some ways but they they talk about these cast, you know cast iron wheels for steam engines and tractors being a chilled face well you guys know how to heat treat iron you had to heat the thing up and then dip it in oil well why do you how do you just do that to the, the face of a wheel well i just i guess i don't quite understand that yeah i would think that'd be pretty hard to achieve in a hole yeah that's mysterious i don't know it may have just been advertising back then. Yeah, there was some of that going on, I'm sure. <laughs> the marketing tool. Yeah, yeah it looked yeah. good it looked good on in the catalog. I'm pretty sure Gar Scott had that on their tiger pole with that atmospheric pressure on their clutch to hold it together. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what guy in marketing figured out the big words, but I don't think that holds any water. <laughs> How many of those tractors if you know they... anything about clutches, air is not helping. No, yeah. no. How many of those tractors exist? As far as we know, Mark has the only one. Uh-huh. I don't know of any other ones that are out there. I'm, I really get into finding old pictures of tractors, and I've pretty much spent the last two years searching for 40, 80 Gar Scott pictures, and I think I have a total of probably nine of them now that are, I believe, to be different tractors because of the stenciling and everything is all different on them. Uh-huh. And just based on location, but... I don't know how many they built, if it was very many to start with even. And I think part of the trouble is their whole downfall was getting that tractor to move. If they could have, so our theory here is kind of that those tractors were done being used. Well, and you start to think about it, the advanced company, or what was it, Rumley bought Gar Scott by like 1911. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, why would you keep building a Gar Scott tractor when you have a Rumley tractor already going out the door? Yeah, yeah. You know, that, they just put the kibosh to it, and that was the end of it. Right. So our theory is most of those tractors were out of use by, like, 1917. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of thinking that First World War had to eat up most of those tractors. Yeah, more yeah. likely. And well, like I, was, I looked through my Gar Scott literature, and a lot of them have an – it'll say, like, E63, and then I'll get an E79, and it's got to be the engine numbers. Or the serial numbers, and I've never seen one in triple digits yet. 
Yeah, I see. So I don't know if there was a hundred of them even made. Yeah, I was gonna say probably really small production numbers. Yep. Yeah, we were talking about Mark's tractor here the other day in the shop, and I want to say his serial number is like 125, and his tag actually says M Rumley on it. So that one has to be right towards the end after the merger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's pretty low. It's not a high number by any means. And do they make smaller tractors? Do they make a like a eighteen thirty six or a 2550 nope. or something? Not that I'm aware of. It was just that one model of tractor. Man, I guess there's the nothing in there. Like when I went to ground sale, like when you when you can't afford steam engines and don't have one yet, I started collecting literature probably, I don't know. I was not far out of high school when I got my first Gar Scott book. And I've got everything from like 1899 up to 1914. And there's no mention of another gas tractor. There's just the one Tiger Pull book. Not surprising. I guess when they built a tractor and they built a 40 horse tractor and that was it. Well, I mean, Advance was kind of the same way. I mean, they did they ever actually advertise their Advance tractor? But it was a big tractor. Right. They didn't have a small tractor per se. Right. I I don't know. I kind of think that that was even just a a half of a prototype. I mean, they were kind of done with their company too by by that time and on to bigger and better things with you know oil poles and under the the Rumley regime I don't think they really did sure. a whole bunch of R&D on, you know trying to put a a true advanced tractor together yeah yeah it's if, a, there, if there was one I'd have to have it well I was going to say I think so. you're just you're 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 just talking yourself out of it is what you're doing by thinking that none exist, you know, and then you don't have to go after it. Yeah. If it exists, I'm gonna have to spend money. So I just tell myself that it doesn't exist and I don't have to spend any money. <laughs> oh boy. Speaking of no tractors existing, the uh I don't know if you guys have seen that Buffalo Triplex tractor, that three cylinder deal they built. Yeah, yep. But Norman wanted one of them in the worst way. Yeah, so uh, Norman ended up finding one drive chain that was actually welded together solid as a mailbox post. <laughs> and they still had the carburetor off the tractor on that farmstead. Really? And so he goes to Larson Welding with these two pieces at Jim and lays them down on the counter. He goes, we're going to build this tractor. And Jim looked at him like he was fucking stupid. <laughs> and he goes, what even is it? And he went into this spiel about it's a Buffalo Triplex, and they just need to get this tractor on the go and get this thing built. But it never happened because that's the only two parts that were Norman confined of it. But it was pretty entertaining. And they, they, they just knew that these parts were for it because they knew that one was in that area? Or how did they boil it down to that's what it was all Dude, about? Norman was obsessed with that tractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was going to have one. I remember one of the first times I rode with him in a car, we went south of Valley City to some person that had like a like a print shop in their basement, and he was going to blow these drawings up with whatever projector he had, and Norman had like a three-foot by four-foot drawing of this thing, so he could identify parts, show really? Jim what we were going to build, and we were going to huh. get after this thing. Did he ever end up making any progress to build, make any patterns or find any more parts? No, it never went anywhere. But that's just a funny story of how that played out because Norman was really excited after he found them two pieces. Mm. <laughs> how did he come up with the drawing or whatever he had? Oh, he had it in a Buffalo Pits magazine or oh, picture literature. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he blew that up and zoomed in and blew it up some more. And, uh, uh, 
He was he was he was really proud of that try or that arrow that was up front, so you could see what direction that wheel was pointing. Yeah, wasn't there a uh, a rear wheel rim or something that surfaced on like Facebook? I don't know, maybe like within like the last six or nine months or something. Yeah, that showed up on Facebook, and then the whole spark got relit. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I asked Mark. I said, "How many more parts did Norman ever find to that?" And he goes, "Why?" <laughs> I said, well, there's a rear wheel if you want to pick up where Norman let off. And he goes, oh, no, man. we will never be venturing into that. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. <laughs> yep. A couple oh, more man. pieces show up. We'll be going right back down that trail. <laughs> Just because we can say we did it. Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be great. That gets me all riled up because that, that is kind of, it's a, I mean, it was just a weird looking contraption, you know, unlike oh, yeah. anything else. Wow. And could you imagine hooking that up to farm with it? Oh, yeah, suppose it was a little front end heavy on that one wheel that was couldn't have been more than 10 inches. Sure. I know yeah, if it was a wet year, you just leave that thing parked right where it's at. That's not going to work. <laughs> no, I was definitely a dream of Norman's that never come to fruition. That tractor was on the list at the top. But, you know, even, you know, we talked about, about Mark not going to participate in this Buffalo Pits tractor. When Norman passed away, Norman was kind of like, like uh, John, our stepdad, Luke's dad. And it was, you can't plow this engine. It's not plowing. Too bad. Go find a different engine. So like on the Gar Scott, well, what was the first line? Well, you, the, the bull gears are bad. Well, we spent all winter welding and grinding and building up gears. Well, now the step's in the way and this and that. And <laughs> Norman gave the same song and dance to Mark. And it wasn't even, Norman passed away, I want to say in June or April, earlier in the year before in Rockford. And the first thing Mark did was hook that uh, Reeves in Rockford that was not allowed to go plowing right up to the plow, and they headed out to the field about as fast as they could get it steamed up that year. Well, just another Norman story where, you know, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah the I mean, way them guys did things. Yeah, yeah. Mark well, Reeves I think, was kind of Norman's baby, too. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, uh, Norman and Mark, I guess now, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of big engines that he owns. I mean, that's stuff we don't see at our way, but big engines was in your country you probably don't have a lot of small engines per se that was pretty common around there no that's one of the unique things about new rockford steam show we like to hammer that point you know you can go to a lot of shows and see a 65 case or a 75 but there aren't very many shows you can see the lineup we have in new rockford of a lot of big engines big plowing engines yeah 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 i mean 25. around here i mean man i I was sitting here thinking about it. Yeah, like I don't know anything over a 25-horse size engine that's really pretty close. I mean, you can go over in Kansas and maybe you'll see something bigger, uh, but still pretty unco uncommon, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of – we had a lot of open areas where they could where they could hook up to bigger plows and break ground. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. First time I was out at Young's and Memke's and all that stuff, and, uh, you know, we went over to Tyler Ranch, and you go through the Judith Basin there, and uh, – you know, just driving through there, and it's like, man, there's no wonder there's all this big stuff out here because it's just wide open. You know, I mean, you had a lot of ground to cover if you were going to farm out there. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. Some of the pictures I have come across of engines in some of the towns in North Dakota, and there's one town where I there's not a reliable water source that I can come up with, but maybe there was back in the day. But there was a 45 double tandem compound. Um, or a 45 double Minneapolis, and then there was a 40 Gar Scott in the same town. Oh, it was wow. like, it's, you know, two of the biggest engines you could buy back then, and they're in the mm -hmm. same town in North Dakota. It's just kind of crazy. Huh. Kind of funny to compare different areas that we live in and what you would see commonly around there, you know. 
Right. Oh, and it's got to be similar to what the farming is today where you got, you know, we live in an area, there's got to be, you know, two or three guys that are really big farmers that got a lot of big tractors. Mm-hmm. And then there's guys that got farm a little bit less dirt and they got a little smaller tractor and that's what they get by with. I'm sure, sure it was similar back in the day. Yeah. 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 And it seems, you know, it seems like every farmer around here has a big four wheel drive tractor nowadays, but it seems like the planter sizes kind of vary, you know, a lot between because, you know, our land is a, a little bit more, probably a lot more broke up than you guys are. And definitely not as broke up as what Jake, where Jake is, you know. So access yeah. and yeah. one thing or another plays a role. <laughs> no, we don't have too many small fields around us, that's for sure. They're big square fields. It's not very rolly in our area. Some places it is, but for the most part, it's pretty flat. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's there's farmers here that drive drive their tractors and their all, all their implements, all the tillage equipment, all the, the planters and sprayers and everything. They drive them 20, 40 miles to go to a eight or 10 acre field here or eight or 10 acre field there. There's just really not that many like hundred plus acre fields like right here. You, I mean, you got to get quite a ways away from where, where we're at to, to get into some of those bigger fields. But there, I mean, there's no, there's no fields like what you guys are farming out, out this way. Well, and that's got to be the way it was back 100 years ago, 120 years ago. Yeah. You know, the bigger machinery went to where there was more open fields and you needed to cover more ground. Because there's probably more trees back then in them (laughs) smaller areas, too. Those 8 and 10 and 20 acre patches probably didn't even exist. You're probably buying an engine to go sawing where you didn't need a 110 case to sit in a sawmill all day. Yeah. Yeah. I was just... So the... This area here, um, Mason, Michigan, there was there was two thrashing rings that run around here on, and it was a twenty horse Huber, and that farmed like basically this whole like city central area back in the day. So like that was it. So there's two basically twenty horse engines, and that's what farmed this whole area. Do you guys have a lot of timber ground in your area? Were sawmills and, and was steam engines a common thing or? or not closer Uh, to minnesota it was steam engines were pretty common around here but so like our next closest town and actually the farm is based out of laverne but lance and i both have hope addresses but so i actually purchased a postcard here probably two weeks ago and it was an old picture of laverne north dakota and there was not a tree in the town or in the background of the picture Mm -hmm. so it's pretty entertaining to see what that picture is compared to what the town looks like now where it, you know that whole community is full of trees but a lot of the stuff has been planted around us by somebody it's not natural timber by any means or was here before anybody it was pretty much grassland well i mean you guys been in the hobby since you were both pretty young uh, do you think that the hobby is still the same as it was when you guys got started or do you think it has changed in, in somewhat way i feel like it's changed since it has when i was younger but what's your guys view of it where you live i think social media has made it more like accessible to people mm-hmm. you know it's it's yeah. really easy to pull like we have a lot of fun at our shows at least i do where you're firing up in the morning and you can post snapchats and facebook live videos and you know the people that are kind of on the fence well wow should i go out to Rollogger and rockford for the day well they're out there and i know this guy and this guy i'll go do that yeah but as far as, you know, before our lifetime, Mark remembers, he tells us all the time, it just isn't like it used to be. He goes, you used to have to push people out of the way so you could roll the belt out to the engine because it was solid people everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of unheard of when you go to a thrashing show anywhere else. There's no problem pulling up to a separator and hooking a belt up because there's probably, I don't know, 40, 50 people around watching it. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. But the one thing we know, we've talked about many times too, is that the farming demographic has changed quite a bit. You know, the farms are bigger. You know, you can't live off of three quarters and have a successful farm anymore. You can't cash flow it. So I would say when the big swath of farmers left through the 80s, a lot of them farming shows got smaller. Uh huh. And then Father Time took out a bunch of them. Yeah. You know, you think about the guys that Mark grew up with, or even our, even John, you know, those guys ran the stuff and farmed with it. You know, those would have been a lot of cool conversations that you just miss out on because you weren't born then and not around. But, you know, there's very few people that remember farming with this stuff if you talk to them at a show. Yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, I mean, this stuff was from 100 years ago. And so, you know, like we... Uh, in our age group you know we can we can think of the guy that we heard the story from possibly still if not our our dads or whatever but i mean that's just getting farther and farther down the line of those stories are just going to be stories they're not going to be firsthand the somebody telling you that that lived there and did that you know uh right and i don't i don't know if that changes (laughs) the interest with some people i mean we as a whole i think think that's really neat but uh you know what's whether the next generation what they'll thrive off of to keep this hobby going, it might be a different thing. I don't know. I, I think, think that's kind of hard for like new people to get into it, like to actually get into it. Like you've, it's a really, really expensive hobby. And yep. I mean, that's not putting it lightly or putting a, a negative tone to it. I mean, so if you want a prairie tractor, I mean, you're going to be spending some money or if yep. you're going to, you know, if you're going to buy a steam engine and run a steam engine, you're going to put some money in these boilers. I mean, that's just, that that is what it is. There's no, there are hundred plus year old pressure vessels, right? There's there's going to be some some stuff you're going to have to do to them. And for someone who's you know never been been around or didn't grow up with it, you've got that expense, and you also have you call it an expense of of learning all the things about it. We've all we're all fortunate enough to have grown up with uh, mentors that have passed down their learnings of no, don't do it this way. You do it this way because you'll mess this up. You know, there's several examples of that, and there's there really is no price tag on on kind of that tribal knowledge that's been passed down through all those mentors of ours. Well, and even you know, you have people walk up that are your friends or you talk to, and it's like they ask to get up on an engine. Absolutely, get up there and let's do something. Mm-hmm. And they they seem to enjoy it, and it seems a lot of people though are scared of it. You know, they've never yeah. been around it. They're really not sure. You know, they might have read something about it. They might have seen a wreck about it. You, they're kind of timid when it comes to being around it and what's actually going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they you open up the back firebox door and they see a raging fire and that kind of, what are you doing up there? This all right? It's hard to explain <laughs> to them that you're, you're, you're under full control of it the whole time, you know. Uh, some If they haven't been around it, they don't really understand that sometimes. Right. Seem to know the difference is, you know, everything's a steam engine, whether it's a prairie tractor or a steam engine, because they look similar. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. So you spend a lot of time kind of explaining to people that you visit with that haven't seen this stuff, but they think it's kind of neat what the difference is and about the time frame it was. Yeah. There's is there a select couple of questions that you get? How much does it weigh? You know, all, all, how much water is there? What do you burn? What's the horsepower? Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I kind of find it crazy how many people above the age of probably fifty to sixty have asked me what a steam engine is at steam shows, and like yeah. you know what did they do? Oh and yeah, yeah. Being of yeah. that age group, they had absolutely no idea of what these machines even did. Mm-hmm. 
And so that I've kind of find that baffling as, you know, I'm a younger guy. I'm only 25 now. So it's all been in my later teens and things of when I've been explaining things to older adults, you know, both these machines. I think that's kind of neat in itself. But at the same time, it's kind of crazy that they've lived a life where they've never even seen one of these things. But yet they ended up at a steam show. Yeah, I find that thing too. Like, how do some of these people end up at these shows? Right. Those are the entertaining people. We enjoy scaring with whistles. <laughs> During the break. <laughs> oh man, it kills me. Pop off valves, man. They, they, oh yeah, they they get the spectators, man, every single time. Yep. Yeah, and then our kids are just sitting around like it's normal, and they're wondering what these people are worried about. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I think you guys will get a kick out of this when we uh, plowed with the Gar Scott here at the farm for my twenty-first birthday. Uh, we probably had somewhere around two hundred people that ended up coming out and. One of them was a pretty decent friend of ours, and she comes up to us after we made a couple of rounds, and she goes, I've learned one thing so far, and that's you guys do fun wrong, because this just looks like work, she says. (laughs) 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 That one was pretty Oh, yeah. There's lots of people that say that. Like, we're crazy for going out in the middle of a field in the middle of July when, you know, (laughs) going out and sweating and all this stuff and could be at the lake on you know on a boat or tubing or water skiing or at a pool floating around or something and yeah. like, well, well, this is our our view of what fun is and hell I wouldn't trade it with them. No, I wouldn't either. So kind of back to how much work it is. When we did come and plow with the Gar Scott, so you know we hauled the Gar Scott from Roll Log. We had to bring a plow from Neurockford. We had to get some coal here. And, you know, then get a water trailer rigged up so we can keep this thing watered. And, of course, we're all, you know, we're out in the middle of a field. We're four and a half miles away from the farm on a wheat stubble field. So there's, you know, not much around us. So that's a pile of work in itself, getting all that stuff organized. And then since the, you know, that engine did hardly any work since it's been restored. Well, I spent damn near four hours in the firebox rolling tubes after we got done plowing. <laughs> Everything had shook, shook and loose. It's a lot of work, but it is probably the most rewarding hobby that I've ever been presented to as an opportunity yeah you took the word right out of my mouth i mean rewarding is what it is absolutely Mm -hmm. well i would agree you know when i first seen you guys this podcast come across the air it's like you know this is about the best thing on the internet now because this with the relationships we get with each other you know we're all you know to get to jacob and take us a 14 hour drive to get to chris it's going to take us 12 or 13 hours so you know, just the relationships we can build with people and how far the connections can go, it's just unreal. Yeah, and I think it's really neat that we can get our voices out there, you know, with the people listening that we may not even know yet or whatever, that, hey, here's these guys in North Dakota, you know, here's what they're about, here's their shows and all that kind of stuff. And that way, yeah. maybe the guy just getting into it can get your guys' stories and, and one thing or mm-hmm. another that they, you know, may or may have not met you yet or, or future you know, some point in time going to meet you and go from there, you know? Right. Well, it's one of the things too. And Luke was saying after his birthday, it's really entertaining when you got this Gar Scott loaded on the drop deck in the back out back and John's out here and it's dark and you got lights and Rockford's coming and we got to get this engine moved. And he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, yeah, we got to roll like half of them, bud. Happy birthday. <laughs> get in there. I got pictures of him, man. That boy was dirty. That's how, that's how you know you had fun though. Right. My dad always told the story that for his 16th birthday, uh, they ran our 50 case around. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Haston St. Clair, but he was a, he was a big Reeves guy that my dad 
was fortunate enough to be really good friends with in his later years. And, you know, you, you've all, I guess, been to my house there where the shop's at, you know, there's lots of trees around and it's pretty hilly and one thing or another. And, and my dad tells a story about him and Aston running the 50 around and Aston was steering the thing through a tree and this and that. And then next thing you know, Aston doesn't say anything and they hit a tree with one of the front wheels and break the steering chain, you know, and my dad always claimed that Aston was just trying to take out another one of them case engines, you know, but man, he, <laughs> he tells that story like yesterday and, just a great time. There's a few of them stories driving steam engines where they shouldn't have been driving. I'm pretty sure Peterson's <laughs> went over telephone poles with an 80-horse case. Yeah. I wasn't I, around for it, but I've heard about it from several people. I ran over a water oh. miner one time. I'll own up to that. Sometimes just having a little too much fun. That's just part of life. <laughs> we were all in the back. It was at Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and uh, that year they had gone through and kind of put some new hydrants kind of in the area where they keep the steam engines, and we were on our way back from the fan. It was the year that I bought my Wood Brothers up there. And I, I believe Tom Nichols, the guy that I bought it from, and my dad were on the platform with me. And it was just like this. We're sitting there bullshitting and talking back and forth and just kind of tooling back up where the engines go, you know. And I heard a clank, you know. It was the front axle folding this hydrant over, you know. And <laughs> dad was like, I think you hit that hydrant. And I said, what hydrant, you know. And we, <laughs> we just kind of kept driving because we were engine luckily it didn't break the water well there isn't the there isn't too many of them that. engines out there besides probably a open case without a cab that you know seeing where you were going was a high priority sure yeah. sure yeah i don't know what some of them guys were <laughs> like you get on the back of mark's reeves engine you can't see anything running you that can't thing see uh, anything off of it, Reeves. you gotta be way around the flywheel trying to see if you're lined up with the world and or That's you get on a 40 it. horse avery and you can't see nothing either and it's like i don't know what some of these guys were engineering or i don't know if they ran it or how this all worked but some are definitely better than others for seeing where you're going the only thing yeah. i can guess with a 40 horse avery is that they were out in a big field and they didn't have anything around them because it's just absolutely pointless to see the left side you know right they were looking in the furrow, and I guess that was about it. Right. Maybe they farmed where it was colder, and they needed some heat, and be right up against that boiler <laughs> all yeah. day long. All day long. Plowed in one direction all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something to be said about that stuff. Well, and it's neat to us that are in the hobby, and we walk around and look at different things, but you know, a lot of that stuff you got to explain to somebody that walks up off the street. The difference is the cross compounds and the double tandems and the single cylinders and you know once you start talking to somebody and show them that it's basically you know looking at a my analogy is you're looking at a dodge pickup and a chevy pickup and a ford pickup and they're all similar but they all got their own features Mm -hmm. and what they thought was the right way to build something and you know even like one of my theories is i think the you know we're gar scott guys because our stepdad and luke's dad got us into it so we collect gar scott's and we kind of enjoy gar scott's a little more than the average steam enthusiast but you know i think the gar scott guy and the robinson guy were buddies in indiana yeah because there's a lot of similarities between the two sure yep yeah there's a lot to be said about that about uh, several different brands with that you know look back and forth at stuff well they have they i i would say they got to be similar to guys rebuilding things now in the hobby you know you're not just off doing it by yourself how you're going to do it you got to mentor or somebody else that you ask their opinion about you know we go to gym a lot up here because that's one of our mentors and it's real easy to go down to fargo and visit with him and see what he thinks so a lot of our questions go to there or mark or those guys had to have had mentors as well 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, and that's that's what's kept the hobby alive. That's for sure. Yeah, it's some of them guys. You just wish you could have a forever time clock with them going because you know I can go into Larson Welding and some of the guys working there, like Kenneth and Noah and a few other ones. You know, you like to visit them, but then you step in the office with Jim, and all of a sudden, three hours is just gone in a blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The conversation, and you know, you're just excited <clears throat> to talk about steam engines and tractors all the time, and it's some of the best conversations you'll ever have. Yeah, there's no there's no agenda. It just it just happens. Mhm. Well, and they show you what projects they're working on. You talk about what projects you're working on. Usually they got a tip or you got a tip or you did it this way or that way. And one of the interesting things we got to do last year was we babbitted a uh what's that thing called? <laughs> the edger? Yeah. <laughs> so we <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk yeah. about the fix first. Look before at that. We talk I did about the rest. <laughs> I didn't even have to ask about it. Well, like a week before the a week before the show, Luke's, Luke's down at Larson Welding picking up the materials because we're gonna bab with some bearings. Now here, let's start. To, we better start with the wreck because it'll be a better story. Yeah, you gotta start. You gotta start with why you're bad at it. <laughs> so we, Jim has been the best mentor I could ever ask for. We Mark purchased a sawmill from a steam show that closed down south of Valley City a little ways. So I kind of took it under, and Lance was a big help, and we decided we're going to rebuild this sawmill and get it going into Rockford. Well, I would kind of like it to be a respectable sawmill, so we got the main saw all set up, and then I was visiting the gym one day, and I said, you know, I'd really love to find an edger, and I wouldn't mind finding a planer and some of these other things so we can make this thing a nice display, you know. He goes, well, I got an edger back behind the shop. You just come get that, and we'll put it in the sawmill. So we went down there and picked it up, and... I got it limbered up and everything spinning, and I'm like, you know, kind of hope this will make the show. It's kind of rough, but it, you know, we'll go with it. We got everything lubed up, and we put the Gar Scott skid engine on it. And after about a, I think we cut two boards, and then Jim, you know, he watched the first two go through, measured them. God, this thing's cutting pretty straight. He says, "Have at her for the rest of the day." And all of a sudden, I get sawn on the main blade, and I think I made one or two cuts, and all of a sudden, the skid engine is stopped and dead. Like there is, it was running at, I don't know, 200 and all of a sudden dead. So we had like six guys tugging on that belt, trying to get this engine to spin over. Cause we thought something happened to the skid engine. And finally Kenneth had enough brains to go, Hey, we better go check the edger. Well, he asked the question first. We're sweating. Jim Bryden, Kenneth, Luke and Lance are pulling on the belt. And he goes, is anything ever, has this ever happened to this engine? Any problems? No. Maybe we better check the other end. <laughs> that, that little edger stopped that Gar Scott dead. <laughs> then we got to go into fixing an edger, which we should have done to start with. But, of course, it was that time crunch where it was about August 15th, and it was time to get the Steve Show stuff ready. Oh, yeah. Gotten to yet, so. Oh, and that <laughs> pouring. If, if you've, ever, you've heard people say pouring Babbitt on Babbitt never works. No, never. It, it never. never works. It That's never works. Taught us is there was Babbitt on top of Babbitt for that operation. And there, it, but... it piled it all up. Uh-huh. Did it run it out on the ground, too? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It was uh, entertaining. That was wow, you didn't you didn't do a good enough job if it isn't running out of where it was. Well, that's very true. That is very true. Then so here we got the edger tuned up and we got new Babbitt poured. That was a I was gonna take it down to Larson Welding because Jim kept saying, "Bring it down, bring it down. We'll work on that one day and whatever." Well, then the shop got busy and time got slim, and so Lance and I just decided we'll take it on on our own. 
you know, never really poured Babbitt by ourselves before. So it was a learning curve. I think one bearing took three times before we got it to finally hold and life was good. But now the edger ran all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so once you got the edger up and running, then you, I'd heard you had an issue with the actual sawmill too, didn't you? Well, the before you go that way, but we were talking about like mentors and whatnot. Well, we took that edger up to Narockford, and we still hadn't put any um, what was that stuff called? Oh, Just time saver. Time, oh, time saver. Yeah, we hadn't put yeah. any time saver. So in we had a we had a guy by the name of Rod Gaffrey that pours Babbitt out of Deadwood, South Dakota, take the time and show us how to use time saver and adjust these caps and tighten them up a little more and shim this side and shim that side so it doesn't get hot and that was probably four five hours of running oh, yeah, that thing at least oh, you know yeah. some of that stuff that you don't learn <laughs> in five minutes and have a have a pretty good teacher usually sat there and showed us how to do that stuff which was kind of neat so yeah then we had another wreck on the sawmill this year after we got the edger tuned up and going uh so <laughs> we actually it's kind of funny how it worked out so this year we talked Mark into we, um, the Dillon family and Kenneth did a pile of work on Mark's 45 Minneapolis and they got it running really nice for the first time since it's been restored. And Tom has been working on Mark to plow with that thing since it's been restored and they just wouldn't go for it, wouldn't go for it. Well, finally we convinced Mark that we need to go make a couple rounds with the 45. So we hooked the eight bottom plow up to it, made a few rounds, and it was phenomenal because, you know, I don't know the last time one of them 45 Minneapolis has ever plowed, you know. Mm -hmm. Some of the stories you hear about it is they kind of hooked them plows up just for picture purposes. <laughs> but um, they, we got done plowing, and Gretchen and Kenneth are just ecstatic about plowing with this thing because it's been a long time coming. And I said, well, you know, the engine's hot. Let's go saw some lumber for a few hours before it's dark. So they get belted up, and I, we, I think we cut three logs. And what happened was is we built a jack shaft for our sawmill because the pulley was right on the um, main wood frame of the sawmill. Yeah, the so we built a jack shaft and put a drive shaft out of an older two-and-a-half-ton truck in there. Well, we should have. The way we pinned our drive shaft on, it was just set screws holding the keys in, and we should have done that a little different. But we had one of the keys loosen up, and it slid off the shaft. So this, you know, three-foot drive shaft was spinning around at 500 RPM, and it ended up bending our sawmill arbor. Oh, man. It, it, was, it was a pretty wild about 60 <clears throat> seconds there where you know and i i wasn't thinking quick enough but i could have got the log into the blade and got the blade stopped but i figured you know thinking about it back after everything was settled down you know i probably could have wrecked the blade doing that so at least at least this time we only have to put a you know new shaft in oh and the wild um, thing is uh, our mentor standing there visiting with me old jim uh, and he looks at me and he goes you know you should really build a metal step over that drive shaft so that drive shaft ever gets away you know, it just don't go flying. Yep. It wasn't eight <laughs> seconds later and that damn thing come unhooked. Oh, no. <laughs> so after the engine got stopped and the boat got stopped and everything's done spinning, I looked at Jim and I said, huh, we were a little late on that one. <laughs> My, I'm, I'm guessing you guys are going to have something over top of that this year. Yes, we will. It'll be something. That's, that's what I was going to say, the to-do list for next year. Yeah. Oh, it it never quits growing, but it yeah. kind of goes. Um, this year in Crosby, Jim was sawing. I think it was Sunday, and I was helping him saw. And then he kind of wanted to take a break, so he looked at me and said, "Here, you come run this thing for a while." 
Well, that was the first time I'd ever ran that mill. And they got a Suli um, little steam engine running oh, the yeah. carriage. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the first time I'd ever messed with one of them because our mill's not set up that way. So I was, you know, just bringing the cut in and Kenneth was running the Gar Scott on the mill. And I was going, I got into the cut and I kind of went to pick it up a little bit and, you know, just pulled her down too hard and spit the belt. Jim <laughs> looks at me and he goes, well, someone please the crowd every once in a while. So you'll keep learning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those yeah, are a little tricky. Yeah, they're a little interesting to but, get used to. Yeah, they're different. That's really different. Yeah, well, well ours is just runs off belts. Yeah, it's ours, all it's all like basically just friction. a tension drive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. can feel the cut when it's getting hard and yeah. you can kind of feel your way through a log, but it's entertaining, I know that much. Yep. Yeah, while we're talking about sawmill stuff, so my dad, oh, I would say like I don't know what the first year he got it done with, but he restored a reef sawmill and it's still a sawmill that we have today. And you know, it was it was my dad's project and I helped him on it. And and my dad just always was the person to saw. That's all there was to it. You know, I never spent a lot of time on Sawyer's lever and this and that. And I have a lot since then. Uh, but up until this point, which was probably say five years after we'd gotten the sawmill done, we had it at the Hamilton, Missouri show. And a friend another friend of ours, Paul Allen, that runs the sawmill electric, Missouri. He says, why don't you get up there and run that thing, you know? And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll get up there. And he was showing me a thing or two and this and that. And we had Kendall Morgan's 20-horse Reeves on there. And, you know, Reeves governor lays down sideways. And the uh, the the collar on the Pickering governor came loose that holds the spool on there, for the, that holds the balls and all that, you know? So that gear worked off of there. And the next thing you know, this engine just goes a million miles an hour, you know? And that'll... <laughs> man business picked up real fast luckily i wasn't into a log or anything like that he got it shut down and everything was fine but that old sawmill was hopping there for a minute <laughs> we've had a similar experience we understand the feeling <laughs> it's, it's been a really big learning experience i think you know as far as tractors and steam engines and what you can do in this hobby them sawmills every time you grab that sawyer lever you are learning something new oh absolutely that's one of the coolest things that i've been a part of is that whole experience because it's you know even jim you know he's a very modest man and he first time we got it set up and going and we cut a few logs that day and he cut most of them which was amazing to watch and I said, you know, we're going to need your help on this because we don't know a lot. And he goes, well, I don't know much more than you. I just know enough to be dangerous, he says, mm-hmm. which is entertaining. But yeah, it's quite interesting. We uh, had a Avery power unit on our mill one time the second year we had it going. And, of course, we didn't have the right pulley. So Matt Folstead is the owner of it, and he was running it. And we finally got it in sync enough with Matt and I working together where he would have the power unit idling and as soon as i'd get into the cut he'd open up the throttle and get that thing under load because if he just had it running it was spinning our blade just about two <coughs> too fast because oh, we didn't have the right pulley and we have a goofy shaft size which kind of hurts us but we're getting a few pulleys made and finding the right ones so it's working out now but that was quite the learning curve right the first two years getting that thing going with some of them experiences and trying to learn from some of the people out there who have mills and have been running them for a number of years and we have a number of great mentors around us that are doing a very amazing job teaching us how to do yeah and you talk about sawmills i mean say a steam show in general there's there's usually one sawmill there and say there's you know just say say there's five to ten steam engines you know well i guarantee that 
half of the people that own them engines, I've never run a sawmill. So the guys that have the knowledge of them sawmills are even more few and far between, it seems like. I, I couldn't tell you how many times that my dad read different books and talked to different people and setting the lead of your blade and all this, all the setup stuff for sawmills, you know, it's, it's a whole nother yeah. thing of its own, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hammer and saw blades too is another loss. Oh part. yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's one of the neater things that I've seen. Like, you know, our generation goes on TikTok, right? There yeah. are, it's crazy how many sawmill TikTok videos are out there where they're doing different videos at shows and you said hammering the blade. There was there's a guy that has TikToks hammering blades where the son was like 55, 60 years old making a video for TikTok with his kid. And grandpa saw it and was like, that's not how you do it. I'll show you how to do it so you don't screw the internet up. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that. One. Uh, no, it's it's on there. It's pretty entertaining. So, you know, yeah, you we're... talk to somebody and you're like, you need to get the blade hammered. Even that run sawmills at a show that showed up helped a guy that's passed away and they stepped into it well you ask right. him have you had the blade hammered in recent history we haven't had the blade hammered in 10 years oh yeah well maybe we better send that in and get it hammered so it helps you out a little bit yeah that or what do you mean hammered yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or even checking lead on some of them we've been to after learning a little bit of knowledge that we do have and you see guys that are struggling on a mill and you know you just ask them simple questions like hey how's your lead and oh it's good it's good well then you finally convince them to check it, and then they go, oh, huh, it's not good. And then they finally adjust it, and all oh, they saw the rest of the afternoon with no troubles. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, unbelievable our... what a what a 16th or an eighth of lead incorrectly adjusted causes more headaches mm-hmm. and heating mm-hmm. of a blade and the arbor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then you get people talking about left-hand and right-hand blades, and they're like, what? What are you talking about, you know? Yep. Yeah. yeah, we're, you know, southern Missouri is, is still big logging country, so we're lucky enough that we can drive maybe like two and a half, three hours and take it to a shop and have it rehammered and stuff like that, but I'm sure then people are few and far between now. Yeah, our closest one is we got to drive to Rice, Minnesota, which is just about to St. Cloud, and that's around a four-hour drive for us. Uh-huh. We still got a, a family that's been in the sawmill business for, well, back to the early 1900s. And it's been passed down through their family, and they're, they'll still hammer our blades for us. But that's when they're, if, the, if they ever get out of it, I don't know where we'll end up taking stuff. Mm-hmm. They got any teenagers, you better get them motivated to learn because yep. we're all going to yep. need that guy eventually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you keep talking about wrecks on a sawmill. I ain't gonna think we have a clue how to run one of them. Man, these guys it's, don't know what the hell they're doing. There's at least one video, and we set up our uh, the chain to scrape away the shavings. The first year we didn't have a chain, and the second year we built what they had, but it's got too small a pulley on it, so it goes like 30 mile an hour. Oh no! <laughs> it really moves sawdust. Yeah, we can move sawdust like a son of a. Well, we never had a, a drag or anything for several years till I don't know, two years ago. I finally talked my dad into putting a blower on our mill, and oh my goodness, like, I'll never shovel sawdust again in my life, you know? And, and then let alone when the sawdust gets built up and starts flinging it in your face and everything else, you know? Well, we didn't, have a, we didn't have a chain or nothing that come with that mill. Uh-huh. And uh, so we thought, well, we'll just take a uh, clean grain chain out of a 1688 combine. You know, it's got probably three inch by five inch paddles on it. 
Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And it's got an actual chain, and the neighbor's got a few in the trees, so we'll go rob that for nothing. That'll be fine. Yeah, except it goes way too fast. Yeah. Mm. Need some bigger pulleys, but it's all adjustments in the learning process. So. Well, you get it in the wagon that way. You don't have to pick it up with a skid steer or anything like that. Yep. Right. Yeah, and we we give ours away to people who want it for like chicken coops beddings, and if they want it for any horse bedding or anything like that, we got a few people that come and take oh, this. Yeah. It, so that works out well for us. Yeah, it's kind of crazy the amount of mess the sawmill <laughs> makes. You know, you can understand why these places where sawmills were set up for years, why they look the way they do after you just run for a weekend. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of piles all over, mm-hmm. and so. it takes it takes some help to run a sawmill and make it fun. If if there's not any help there, I mean it's oh yeah. We t- talk about work. I mean, running a sawmill is work. If you don't have enough people to off bear or someone there to help you roll the log around and dog the other end of the carriage, and oh yeah, yeah, it's a there's a ton of work there. Yeah, when you get two or three people on each end and being able to talk to the guy next to you and go back and forth, that's what really makes it fun. Yeah, yep. we saw it here at home with just three people, just one person at the at the carriage and running the stick, and one person off bearing, and one person running the engine. Yeah, and that is that is not that's not fun. I don't know how it is for your guys's areas, but like some of the shows we go to, I've noticed where if there's a sawmill running, as long as that blade's spinning, there's at least someone watching it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's oh yeah. Every yeah. time, but you know, the thrashing around us, that's kind of gone downhill to where people just don't get a kick out of watching thrashing anymore. So that's kind of a dying breed there, but them sawmills, they attract people all the time. Even like the first, no, the second year we had the sawmill set up. Normally our show is about dead come around three o'clock on Sunday, but I kept the sawmill run until five or five 30 and there was people watching all the way till we quit. Yeah. That's... Same way at Mason, the, the sawmill, that's got the, the biggest set of uh, bleachers. And that's just because over the years we realized that that's where people want to be. So we've got a really big set of, Bleachers set up there, and I mean, we we saw basically all day long there. We switch engines in and out, and, but at any given time, you look up there, and those bleachers are packed full of people, right? And then you look down, and I mean, not even probably three or four hundred feet down to where they're thrashing, and uh, there's there's a little set of bleachers there, and it's maybe like a quarter full. And yeah, you're totally right. There's the thrashing interest is going down. So, fast fast and i think it's a generational thing like lots of people especially younger kids don't pick up what's going on there with thrashing and whatnot when you're watching a sawmill man a lot of movement going on a lot of things going on so you can sit there grandma grandpa can sit there or whatever and 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 watch it and stay busy and be entertained you know both have been to rolog how long could you stand at the bride and roan sawmill and watch that all day long days Days yep. and days. Yeah. I remember so. when we were there. You know, my kids. Well, why? Why do they have this? Why do they have that? <coughs> why is it like this? You know, and it's like mm-hmm. it's just the way it's set up. You know, it's different. They yeah. really made a setup out of it. You know. Yep. Uh, that is. That's that's like a, a tenth wonder of the world. It is awesome. I was get a kick out of Mark was helping when they when they moved that and raised some extra rafters for it, and they were in an R John Deere with a farm hand loader on the front of it. <laughs> Oh, and it had God. one of them uh, hydraulics where if you pulled it the wrong way, it just dumped the fluid out and dropped dumped the bucket it. to the ground oh. about as fast as you could. So I don't know who was running it, but Mark was hanging from a rafter, and Jim was on the project too. And good thing the rafter held because they were hanging from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, got her done though. 
Have you guys ever been uh, to very many shows east of you guys, you know, like towards me or Jake or anything like that? I never have, but the farthest east one we've ever been to is Rolog. Yeah, yeah. They usually fall like Albany Falls the same weekend we are. Mm -hmm. Dalton's usually the same weekend Andover is. I'd like to go to Mount Pleasant, but that falls right on Rolog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always all, well. Mount Pleasant's several hours closer to home than what Rolog is, but and I and I never been to Rolog in, in my whole life except for that one time. You know, uh, it's just we always went to Mount Pleasant. Well, and it's hard too when you help you help Mark and got things at Rolog, and you don't oh, want yeah. to say, "Well, we're leaving for a year. You have to figure right. that out." Sure, right. you yeah. know, you don't want to just bail. No, pretty set in stone what you guys are doing on Labor Day. Yep, yep. Our families go and. Everybody pulls their camper in and has a spot, and it pretty much turns into a show up about Wednesday and go home on Tuesday or late Monday night. Yeah, you guys got to make it east of the Mississippi River a time or two. Well, I'm not east of the Mississippi, but... Wasn't Mason no. featured yeah, Gar Scott this year? They are. Yes. They, should, yes. They, need a, they need a skid engine there this year is what I yes. heard. <laughs> well, I can tell the... you one thing. We're not going through the Upper Peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you that. Uh, it's funny you say that. Yeah. If you can put that the the skid engine and the and the twenty five double on the on the low boy and bring that across, that would be that would be fantastic. I I put you up in the house for the weekend if that's uh, if that's what will get you here. Don't you guys got a twenty five double out there? Negative. I don't think there's one in the state of Michigan actually. Really? I'm huh. thinking. Uh, I don't think there's one in the state of Michigan. There's a twenty. I was gonna say there's a twenty yes. around there's here a, or something. There's a twenty down in Toledo, but technically, I mean that's in Ohio. Technically, <clears throat> um, I don't think there's a. There's not very many Gar Scott steam engines in the state of Michigan. Period. Wow, James, I suppose James not. When both had, left and yeah, you guys ours, pretty much had Battle Creek, Michigan there. I bet that held a lot of the other stuff out. Yeah, that and Port Hurons. There's yep. 19, there's 19 Port Hurons. I bet you there's probably 200 of them in Michigan. Well, and that has to do with, you know, if they were making them there and you could farm and you didn't have to pay freight to get it there, that yep. probably accounted for a lot of that. It's pretty similar nowadays even with farming. Whatever dealer's close to you, there's a lot of that stuff around. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, freight and trucking is, is a thing just as much today as it was back then. Yep. Well, and you didn't want to give away any money if you didn't have to. No, no, no. Anything lined up to come to your place for the Gar Scott feature? Uh, I'm working on it. Um, we're working on you guys right now. Yeah, we're <laughs> trying to. We just planted a seed here. We'll get, it'll be the weekend after Crosby. I don't know if you guys will be ready for it or not. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to get Chris to bring the 20 double back up, but. He's being a little bit of a stick in the mud. Uh, now I've got uh, John Schrock. I don't know if you guys have seen that engine, uh, but that he reboilered it with a, I think a Reeves, a Canadian Reeves boiler. He put a, a twenty-two single side mount Gar Scott on a. I don't know what size it is. A Canadian Reeves boiler, butt strap boiler. And, I thought uh, it was a Gar was, boiler. He changed like a rear mount Gar boiler. He told me. It is a rear mount Gar. I don't know. It's, it's a big, heavy boiler. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is. I thought that's saying, what you always told me. Maybe that is what it is. Completely regardless. But I think Dad, Dad mentioned a Reeves boiler earlier this week. We were talking about this. Too, oh, really? We were talking about getting engines there, too. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Reboilered it. Uh, it was Harry Woodmancy's engine. And Harry had, uh, uh, I mean, John had been doing work for, for Harry uh, 
kind of the, the later part of Harry's steam engine career. And, uh, that was, that was the, the payment for, for some of the work that he had done was, was that engine. So John, John got that gar from, from Harry for the work. So John, John reboiled it there and well, it's, it's run around and I, it's, it kind of, sh- it's a really short, stubby, stocky looking thing. And it's, it's throaty. <laughs> it's got a really, really awesome bark to it. And so anyways, left long story short, that'll be at Mason. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I think we're probably going to go up north of us, I don't know, 60 or 70 miles or so. And um, Dave Kemler, he's got uh, a couple of Gar Scott smaller runs. He's got a 18 double side mount and uh, a 16 single side mount. Uh, I think we might try to get both of those uh, on the same load and bring them down. And then from there, I think we got to go outside the state of Michigan to, to try to get some. We're... Uh, We'll see what happens. It's getting a little expensive, and we'll have to go through the membership here to see what all uh, funds we want to put forth to, to put in the feature on. But I will try to get as many of them uh, to the show to, to feature as, as we can. That is one thing that is just absolutely difficult about putting on big features is that trucking bill adds up. <laughs> it does. And the, the, the older guys have always said that the features will not bring in more people through the door or through the gate. And yes. I think I agree. I, I don't think bringing five Gar Scots in for a Gar Scott feature versus 10 Gar Scots in is going to bring in 15 more people through the gate at Mason this year. I well, it could bring I, two. I, it, it might bring, it might bring two and, and, and your wives and kids and all that good stuff, but kind of like, just the the theory behind that, anyways. It's just that you know the 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 features are kind of for for us, you know. They're for the folks like like the four of us here talking tonight, right? Like right. you're going to travel across the country to go see that feature, and I don't it know, depends for me, on I, what it is. You know, it's, yeah, oh, I totally it's, agree. Yeah, it's the appreciation that we have for seeing each different model compared to the general public, especially in our area that. You know, they look at a 25 double Gar Scott compared to an 80 horse case. Well, to them, they're both steam engines. They're going to do the same job. Yeah. You know, as, as far as we go, you know, we're critiquing how Gar Scott built their engine compared to case. We want to see them side by side. And, you know, that's, I think that's the biggest downfall is the spectators we have are not appreciating, you know, even the case expo, you know, everybody wanted to come see the 150 Gar Scott or 150 case at Rolog. And that was about the end of it. You know, they didn't care that there was 610s lined up next to each other and a pile of other engines behind them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had one guy walk down the entire 110 case line. There must have been, what, five, six of them? I think there's six. He asked every single guy with 110, and they all look identical. Is this the 150 horse? No. Yeah. On to the next guy. Is this the 150 (laughs) horse? No. So, yeah, I I don't disagree with you there that, you know, having a big feature is necessarily the answer, except for the people who appreciate it still and want to see the things next to each other. Sure. Well, and I kind of I kind of think that 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 is it really should be an accolade to being a part of a a club and putting on a show is you. I mean, we've got to get some enjoyment out of it and get something out of it, too, other than just the work that, it you know, we all put in outside of the show all year long to to keep the show going i mean we've got to get some enjoyment out of it and hell if that means bringing in 10 gar scots to put a feature on and that that gets the enjoyment out of it for 
you know, whoever that, uh, like folks like us, like that's what it should be about. I mean, outside of keeping the show going, but right. I mean, if, if there's no, I mean, if we're not really looking forward to doing anything, but the same old, same old every year, I don't yep. know. I, I think it's really neat to see. Really well, we've well. got really lucky too. And when shows are going on where, all right, three shows want to have Mark's 110 at it. Well, how are we going to get this thing moved around? We got a we got a detachable gooseneck, but we don't want to haul it all the time. Well, yeah. how about we give you some fuel money and you find somebody that'll move it for for nothing, use their truck and trailer. Well, that works. And we've got a few guys that are going to help us haul a few things this year. And well, how can we how can we take care of the fuel? And you know, you're coming to the show. Can you bring a bring an engine if we help you load it? And some of that stuff makes that trucking bill go go away when you're not having to pay the guy that's doing it for a living which helps sure yeah yep, that's for sure yeah i think you know talking about that appreciation part of it um when i first kind of come up with the idea of what to have for the Rockford feature this year and i told it to mark he goes why do you want to move all that stuff out of roll log because i think we're taking i think there's going to be eight tractors of marks coming out of roll log so, you know, and all of them are big. We're not going to get two of them on one load except for the Townsend and the Little Mogul are the yeah. only thing that will be able to go on one load. So it's like, you know, we're going to have, you know, probably three or four days of just hauling stuff out of roll log with three trucks. And I told them, I said, you know, I'm not doing it for spectators. I'm not doing it for the show. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for everybody who had a close connection to Norman and this collection that is going to appreciate this collection being together one time. Yeah. And that picture is going to be in the office on the wall I'm when sure it finally gets done. Mm-hmm. Cause then you'll have, yeah. you know, you, you walk into Jim's <clears throat> office and all those, all those memories of the things they've done in the past, you know, plowing with three gas tractors, the big case feature in 92, you know, all different, all different pictures. And you can sit in there and talk about them all day long. Yep. You know, that's the cool stuff where somebody finally comes out to the farm or, you know, stops in. They went to Crosby and they're going to stop through on their way home to have be able to sit and visit and enjoy talking about this stuff with people is at least half of the hobby yep. when it comes yep. to what we do. Yeah. yeah. I've talked about doing something like that with, with our collection and my dad and, and uncle, they shake their heads. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would really like to get everything out of the barn, out in the field. Get it staged and get a picture of it. I mean, it, I I just the picture will live on. I mean, we all look at old pictures from these old collectors of all of their stuff, and I just I don't know. I I think it would be really cool to to do it. I might just have to do it one day while they're at work or something. Home, <laughs> everything, everything out of the barn. <laughs> hey, hey guys, I need help putting stuff back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad and I actually did that, but I mean, this has been many years ago. Like, if I remember right, what was in the picture was my Wood Brothers. Well, and I don't think it was everything. I think my Wood Brothers was in the picture, my dad's brick at the time, and our Reeves at the time, and then like our Holt Teuton, and that was basically the majority of our collection at the time. I don't think our fifty, I I, I don't think our fifty case was at home during that picture. Is why it wasn't in there. Uh, but now it's like, man, I don't, I can. All I'm thinking about is if I get all that stuff out, I got to put it all back in the barn at this point. But it'd be a pretty neat picture, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And even behind the picture aspect of it, you know, as far as what we're dealing with and how we've grown around it is, you know, Norman spent his life around this stuff. 
and I've heard from multiple people, it didn't matter if the load cost Norman a quarter, he never hauled an empty trailer. He always found something to put on it and bring home. Mm -hmm. There's three lifetimes of people collecting it, adding to this collection, and it's just amazing to see. Yeah. And still hauling stuff home. You know, I'm sure oh, you yeah. guys spend your yeah. summer old. You knew that there was this piece of iron on this farm, and, you know, you got to go to the sale to not let it get away or get scrapped. Yep. Yeah, I There's think still, that's still trailer loads coming in the yard every summer. Oh, yeah, I think that's the majority of the fun. I mean, me and well, me and dad were just getting an old D6 uh, here yesterday, I guess it was. Uh, you know, it was we we ended up with this old D69U just to get some parts, but man, just going over to the farm that was five miles from the shop to pick it up and bring it home. I mean, <laughs> that's what I enjoy for the most part, you know, is just the, the hunt and the going to get it and bringing it home, even if it wasn't that big a deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even last summer, I went to a sale, and I was talking to the old guy whose sale it was, and he had the family farmed with a case engine and a Gar Scott engine. Oh, we got to, and I asked him, I said, what did you guys ever plow with? Do you have any gang plows? Oh, yeah, we had a gang plow or two, and we took the shares off and welded on some four-inch by half-inch, basically, shovels for it. And he goes, we were doing some vertical tillage back in the 30s and 40s with it. Oh, wow. And then he made the comment, he goes, you got to come back when the sale's over and we'll go out in this scrap pile I got. You got to see a few things. Well, yeah, huh. we're going to go back and check that out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just conversations like that where, well, they might have a, you know, a gang or two left or a lever or a wheel or sure something you can yep. bring home. Yeah, there'll be some of that uh, triplex tractor there too, I bet you. Yeah, <laughs> probably a head or a jug. <laughs> yeah. Something really good. Yeah, something, you'd be right back into it. Well, they didn't start with much when uh, Kenny Cass did that American. Right. All we right. need is a frame and a couple of wheels, and we'll be set. We'll get that arrow cut out here before the weir's over. Yeah, you can go whittle that out with the torch when we get off, off the deal yep. here. So. <laughs> Hang it on the wall and tell Mark, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Wait till he asks what that is and tell him what it is and where we found it and make up a good story. Yeah. <laughs> the new project. Well, guys, uh, I really appreciate you guys joining us. It's been a ton of fun. I don't think it'll be our last time. And, and, and like I said, had a ton of fun. Appreciate you guys having on. I think everybody will enjoy listening to this. And uh, thanks for supporting us with our endeavor here doing this podcast and getting these stories out there. Heck yeah. yeah. Thanks for doing a podcast for in our hobby. That's really nice to be able to log on and listen to other people's stories. That's kind of cool. I don't know if you guys do it, but we spend a lot of time listening to podcasts because you get sick of the same music or listening oh, to yeah. Yeah. turn off what's going on in the world and just listen to a podcast and do your thing. Sure. Right. This Some of this might not be the most exciting content or whatever, but it, yeah, we're not going to be talking about what's happening in, in the world or Right, you know, it's, it, it's not mainstream media. I mean, we're be like sitting around a bonfire talking, talking steam and gas, talking about iron. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. Yeah, and there's plenty of characters in this hobby to have a podcast and interview them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yep. Characters, characters. So yeah, make some make some more memories this summer, and we'll have you back on later this fall, and we'll see. That's right. Hopefully, we'll catch up. You yeah. yeah. What other stuff you messed up this summer? <laughs> Tri <laughs> trials and tribulations of sawmills. <laughs> so oh, hopefully man. we can uh, catch up this summer somewhere in person and uh, you know make some memories. 
yeah hopefully well guys i appreciate it and uh hope you enjoy listening to what we got coming out in the future and thanks for being on yeah absolutely thanks for having us yeah thanks no for problem. having us all right thanks guys